Welcome to the Exchange Podcast. I am your host, Floyd Boykin Jr. Welcome. Today, we have another another phenomenal artist. Uh, this brother I've been knowing for many, many years. We got all kinds of stories that we can tell you, but we probably can't tell you because it's only about 20 minutes long. But we have so much to talk about. Um, this brother has been part of Slam Teams. He was the very first cover of Spoken Vision Magazine when we got that going. He had a not-for-profit going on. Uh, I believe it's still going on. And he started his own um, uh, establishment with Herb Arts, man. It's just so much he, he got going on. And it's a young uh, entrepreneur and family man, an artist. He's got everything. But I'm going to let him tell you. But uh, we're coming to the stage, as we say it. Is my boy MK Stalins. Welcome, my brother. What's going on, brother? Thank you, man. I appreciate all of that intro. That was beautiful. Oh man, you it's all all um deserving, brother. Oh, you've man, done, you've you. done a lot, brother. You've done a lot. And when we could think about um just what we can be as artists and what we can do in communities, honestly, you are definitely a one a key person to look at. And even just for a smidgen, just to figure out, hey, I could do something else other than just being on stage. I mean, being on stage is powerful in itself, but I can take it beyond the stage and do something. Man. I think you're a primary, uh, a prime example of what you can do with your artistry. Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate that. Uh, no problem, man. So we're celebrating uh, National Poetry Month, you know, and I think I definitely couldn't have my podcast going on during this month and not include you. So I want you to tell, um, tell our listeners, man, tell us about your journey into poetry you know when did you realize that poetry was your was your passion you know it's interesting man it goes back to uh the mid 80s uh mid to late 80s with ll cool j and his song uh i'm bad so when i heard that i wanted to freestyle and (laughs) So I was I was with a neighbor and I started freestyling. I don't know what I said, probably all garbage, but I was I was going, I was going for mine, and mm-hmm. uh, and that was the first time that I rhymed. That was the first time that I was very much so intentional about uh, creating something. Of course, it was uh, spontaneous. It was all improvisational, but it was the first moment. And from there, you know, hip hop stayed with me. And, and it wouldn't be until like years later when I realized that uh, rap. It's very much so poetry. Because, you know, for some people, I guess it's a bit controversial, it's debatable. But to me, it's 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 like you wouldn't have rap without poetry. You wouldn't have rap without the oral tradition of poets. Mm-hmm. So clearly it's a part of it. So anyways, uh, so that's really where it started. And I like, started writing like little poems to girls I liked when I was uh, 11. <laughs> So mm-hmm. I actually wrote my own my first rap when I was about 13 and it seemed to have impressed people um, sometime in my uh, teen years I, I started recording an album with my oldest brother so we put out like a, an album um, it it was really it was really a demo but but we got some copies pressed and we try to put it out there we try to move it like it was a, a record label and a release and so that happened and I was about um, that point it's like a junior senior in high school um after i graduated from high school um i started uh 
a teacher friend uh, told me about this place called Divinity. And so, you know, I went to check it out and, you know, I didn't know anything about the last poets at that time. Uh, mm -hmm. Didn't know how much of my life was, you know, filled with the last poets. Like if you think about uh, um, certain samples uh, that different hip hop artists would use, some of those samples included, you know, vocals or words, expressions from the last poets. I didn't know that it was already very much so a part of my life. Bottom line though, was there, got a chance to see David Nelson, um, like the founding member of, of The Last Poets, and that's where I encountered you. Uh, and I, I got a chance to uh, check out what you were doing with uh, your Cerebral Travelers, your band, um, and just what you were doing as a poet. It was just really exciting and interesting stuff. And even though it really felt like it was just like us, like me, you, a few other folks who were around, <laughs> you know, because right, right. it was a small little spot in Jennings of all places. But it was, uh, but it was. I think it was formative. I think I think it was necessary uh, because it just it helped us. First of all, it connected us, and to me, it marked the beginning of the next wave of poetry and poetry producers in St. Louis. And I and I really count you, uh, Chill, um, and then you know there was some like poetry producers like you had Troy uh, Troy Williams. You had uh, Brothers of the Flow. So you had different folks who were putting stuff out there all around the same time, really uh, uh, reinvigorating, you know, poetry and making it accessible to younger audiences that wanted something cool and interesting to be around. And so we were at the vanguard of that. And so, uh, and, and that really led me to do, you know, um, Legacy, that was Urban Hang Suite before, uh, before Legacy. That's where I met John Nix, uh, my business partner for for Legacy, brought in Kevin Bryant. Uh, we started up Legacy, started the Friday nights thing. Now, interestingly, the Friday night poetry set at Legacy, or what will become Legacy, was really the occasional Friday night poetry set that Afrocentric Books and Cafe would put on. And so, right. we, so we continued that. So we continued on, with, and we just made it very intentional because in my mind, we had this black bookstore. We weren't selling books, enough books to like, you know, for me to not you know struggle and for us generally not to struggle so the poetry became a reason for people to come into the bookstore and to maybe buy some books you know what i'm saying as well as a right. platform for these uh for these younger poets so we were doing like a like a free poetry night for like a year and then we expanded our location we were once located right across the street from what was ronald l jones funeral home but now it's uh, the Moonrise Cafe, <laughs> right, right, you know what right. I'm saying? So now, you know, people are in there eating when their bodies used to be there. Bottom line though, right across the street from that, and, uh, and we expanded and we started like doing these for real poetry nights. And, you know, I was, you know, really thinking a lot about how to maximize audience. And, you know, Floyd, you've always been somebody who connected with audiences. Uh, you were social media before social media. You know what I'm saying? Right. You had a way Thank to really, yeah, you had a way to really connect with people, keep them involved, keep them engaged. Uh, and, you know, so I, I, I invited you to be a part of it. You accepted. I invited David and Jackson to be a part of it because he was doing this thing with Hotbox. Plus, he was a drummer and I wanted that kind of vibe. Uh, right. And so we were, and then, of course, Enoch, you know, Enoch was, was an up-and-coming DJ and we needed something, you know what I'm saying? Because cats weren't, gonna be playing uh, bass guitar or drums all night. 
so to have a DJ in there to kind of set the move the, to create the vibe, uh, it became to me magical. And that was that, and to this day, I guess, you know, Legacy is still doing its thing uh, with some kind of a line, Friday night lineup, but that really set off the early, you know, 2000s. That was 2001, you know, and, right, right. Uh, and it continued on even after I left with uh, Maurice, D. Brown. And it was just, again, it was just a, it was a dope way for black poets to come together, uh, share their work in spaces that generally, you know, uh, were loving and supportive. Um, and so like today as a poet, you know, what I'm really interested in is um, how do I further the, the legacy, not the legacy of legacy, but how do I further the legacy of some of the black arts movement poets? Like I really see, you know, the work of Amiri Baraka, the work of Sonia Sanchez, uh, locally, uh, the Dilly Departed, Shirley LaFleur, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and still with us, Dr. Eugene B. Redmond. You know, how do I, you know, further the work? How do I uh, keep an ear to what they were doing, what they were talking about, to kind of be grounded in a poetic tradition, but then obviously be able to move it forward and of course honor that side of me that's that's hip hop. So to me, creation is just an opportunity to kind of deal with all these different aspects of what it means to be a creative, particularly to be a black poet and to share works in this climate. And brother, I mean, that's and that's a lot of history, man, for those people who actually um, are listening to the podcast. I mean, you just dropped a lot of St. Louis history here, you know, because, you know, it, can you imagine today if those venues that you mentioned, mm-hmm. Divinity, Troy's in the Park, and Legacy, mm-hmm. the early Legacy, all still existed. Same vibe, I mean, same energy, everything. And what the St. Louis scene would be like with those and the flow. I mean, you know, you're yeah. like, oh my God, the flow was oh always God. awesome. <laughs> always. Oh my Always. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, man, I wish people could experience that again. Yeah. But the thing about it, none of those, in my opinion, mm-hmm. can be recreated. No. no. None of no. something else has to and you know, there's some 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 other spots that have come up and, and they're doing their things, but in terms of, you know, what I would say was kind of like the golden ages for us, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. those times, there's nothing to that that could bring that kind of uh, passion and that family vibe, you know, because remember at Legacy, we used to be, after poetry, we would just hang out Forever. for another two hours. Easily. <laughs> you know? Easy. I mean, poetry would end around like midnight, you know what I'm saying? So, right. and, and, and out of that, you know, came your uh, film production, uh, and then there was Love. Um, right, And right. again, this is an example of broke or low income or low resourced, <laughs> I'll say low resource. I'll say that, mm-hmm. uh, little resourced black artists who are supporting each other to try to help realize somebody's vision, man. I mean, y'all, so going back to your first question, I think mm-hmm. that if all these venues, and you know, you also have spots like Love Jones that will come along later on, you know, but we're still right, kind of in the right. mix of it. Uh, but, but when you think about the flow and what they were able to produce, you know what I'm saying? They had massive crowds of beautiful black people, largely black women. Uh, they right. had they had uh, advertisements on the radio, or at least they had a, a, a 
some kind of pathway into that and eventually they would do some other interesting things but man yo they they to me set the standard for cool and i would say bourgeois i mean middle black middle class uh expressions of poetry not to say that everybody who went out was black middle class but these were venues like the the um the jazz at the bistro just the bistro is not a hole in the wall venue right that was that was right. a proper stage that was a proper sound system and if there was a poetry there it was some of the world-class jazz musicians coming through st louis rocking that stage so this was this was their way of marrying i would say black ambition you know with the cool of the culture at that time which was spoken word poetry and of course we brought the heat you know we were the poets we did our thing but man uh people who set the stage for it who uh who made all these different interesting people come together they always got to be applauded and so even though i know those cats weren't like as far as i know they weren't poets i wanted to at least pay homage to how they helped set the scene you know like it was so right. important that they were able, that they came along when they did and they were doing the work that they did because they they did some i think some exceptional work of for creating space for black creatives especially after La Patisserie was gone which wasn't a scene that I was a part of you know I wasn't a part of that right. but it just goes to show you that they went from what could have been uh what would have been definitely like more of an afrocentric djembe drum you know sort of scene to just this cool environment that that was dripping with black excellence and had this 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 unmistakable vibe of hip hop but like you know like chill hip hop you know neo soul type of stuff right so they were able right. to embody that and and give people this this excellent outing where folks showed up looking great <laughs> you know what i'm saying right. and not oh my you know God. what i'm saying yo not like they just <laughs> rolled out of bed you know they showed up looking great and so but but I, so i think that i think people are missing that i mean that 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 level of care and concern and when you think about the whole scene like what we were doing with urban hang suite this kind of i would say this more this grassroots thing that was a little grittier uh where we had we were fortunate enough to have uh DJ Needles back when he was DJ Needles and not Biko you know what i'm saying so like a earlier mm-hmm. version of Biko a young version of Biko and we had uh just these uh my attempt to create these in-house poets to kind of always set the uh the norm and the vibe you know for that space so dude it was it was it was great it was great and then you had oh yo remember when David had the um the uh the Lexi Hughes Poetry Festival Yes, yeah. yes indeed. Yeah, man. Yes indeed. We had all kind of stuff you know, including that. I mean, that was a, like a phenomenal thing. I remember when they brought Saul Williams Whoa, here, man. That's right. I thought that was so dope. <laughs> that was so dope. As like they have, I mean, they just they set it up. And then when they, speaking of festivals and just expos, mm-hmm. when Ryan, Ryan yeah. when Chill got into that and brought in the spoken word expo yeah. him, him and his yeah. camp. I mean, we had so much stuff going so on much. during that so time. Much. The magazine popped yeah, that's off. That's right. Spoken I mean, business. everybody Absolutely. was, you know, everybody was popping off of each other and supporting each other, man. And I would love to see something 
like that happen again not necessarily in the same way of course but just something where that movement just grows i mean hopefully after this pandemic is like gone (laughs) you know hopefully there's some 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 things that could can generate uh, happen again who knows man i would really love it man i wanted to uh ask you something man uh, about your performances man because you are definitely one of my favorite performers, man. And you know, we perform together in many different venues, different places, man. But what's your what's your process oh, when yeah. you're preparing for a piece? Yeah, man. Uh, for me, man, it's, it's so crazy. Like back when I was performing more regularly, uh, it was I guess the process that I got from MCing, from rapping. <laughs> but uh, mm. you know, I would I would craft a poem, I would write it, or, or write a piece. And then I would just commit it to memory. And then I would think about how I want to perform it. Like, how do I want to uh, make myself as vulnerable and uh, and touch as many audience members with my truth, with my honesty as possible? And I think like the first time I really saw somebody get down with a like a spoken word poem, I was in high school. It was another high school student. I forget the sister's name. She was, uh, but she was really dope. <laughs> and uh, I was like, y'all, I've never mm-hmm. seen a poem perform like that before. Uh, before then, you know, I, I just I missed out on that, whatever that was. Uh, I was too much of a rapper, too much of a of an MC. So, so that process stayed with me. It was this process of being able to 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 write the rhyme, to make sure that it is what I want to say, and then committing it to memory by just performing the piece in like this serious like repetition this groove over and over again and then i would break it you know before the public and uh you know there was a few things i learned about that process like one to be able to commit it to memory to be able to like uh to use that much space to like say what you got to say uh you got to really like that poem and it's funny I, i remember a couple of the poems that i first wrote the ones that I liked a lot and that people really liked a lot, they stayed with me. The poems that were like, eh, they're, they're gone. You know, they got removed from the uh, <laughs> from, from my memory. But with it all, it was always about trying to, like, how do I interpret this piece with my body? You know, how do I sound, uh, how do I sound like I have conviction? And how do I uh, share my enthusiasm, my passion, my truth, my pain, whatever, for this piece with an audience, you know? and not be too self-conscious about it. Because there were some pieces that I wrote where I was completely committed to it. And, you know, uh, it, it was just kind of weird. You know, just kind of weird experiences in terms of the performance. But uh, in terms of the audience, like it was a piece where I was acting like I was on drugs. And I remember I heard like a snicker, like somebody laughing in the audience right. or whatever. And what I, what I learned in that moment is that I'm not going to stop, you know, performing things that I think that are true. But I will give a lot of thought to... Uh, how do I want to expose myself? You know, like, like is is this poem, is this idea, is this moment worth it? Because as an artist, last thing I want to do is be laughed at when I'm not trying to make people laugh. But on the same token, right. if I am performing the piece, then I got to be dedicated to it. I got to be, you know, uh, I have to be connected to the work. So it made me think a lot about um, content. And, you know, later on in life, after like my early brush with uh, spoken word poetry I started thinking a lot more about content and then going to like poetry slam and seeing how people 
you know, pull content and how they, you know, share it with the audience and, and what it means. And even though you might have something that is your, your deep, dark truth, it doesn't matter if it doesn't sound good. So it, it, everything goes back to presentation. And if you are an artist, you care about how your words are presented. You care about the collection of words that you have on the page. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that's my process. My process has a lot of hip hop in it. After I craft the poem, uh, the, the message that I want to share, the next thing I do is that I repeat the poem. I, I say it over and over again, and then I practice it. I think about how this work can connect with audiences. Um, and then I have to test it. I have to take it out in front of a real audience and see how they feel about it. And if they really dig it, uh, that'll give me even more energy to, to, to own the poem, like to truly have it and possess it for the audience and, and give it to them in the best way I know how. Also, I mean, I know you've just mentioned a couple of times about um, uh, hip hop. So that kind of leads me to my next question in terms of your influences. So who are you influenced by? And when I do say that, I don't only mean in poetry. Oh, what? Who influenced you, M.K. Stalin, as the artist that you are? That's interesting, man. You know, I, the because I, I love hip hop so much. There were a lot of people. It, it wasn't necessarily one rapper who did it for me. It was always maybe like a song. So, like I mentioned, LL Cool J. It's really nothing about LL Cool J's career, his body of work that says, "Yo, I want to rhyme like LL." It wasn't that. <laughs> it was. It was. It was right, more right. like when he did bad and when he did like certain joints and he brought a certain amount of energy. Then that that spoke to it. A favorite of mine was always Rock Kim. His wordplay, uh, his monotonous sound was 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 a part of how to like master the flow and kind of be in the pocket of, of a rhythm, you know? Um, personal favorites were like, you know, A Tribe Called Quest. I loved how free they were, you know? And they mm -hmm. lie, you know, I loved how free they were and how they were able to go different spaces and to be fun, to be energy, to be uh, both respectful and mindful and kind of weave all these different things together. Uh, so, so a lot of the people that I really enjoyed were, you know, they were from, they were from a time when I was coming up, you know, as a, as a rapper and, you know, and there were other people that I enjoyed, like I always liked the, 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 the relentless character, uh, like speed and, 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 and ability to just deliver these crisp rhymes. And that was like DLC. That was his thing, you know? He was uh, mm -hmm. he was uh, just uh, just an incredible you know MC before you know his accident. He was able to incorporate all these different cultural influences into his flow uh, and still be in the pocket and be able to rock rhymes in, in an incredible way. Um, and so yeah, so those, so all those things you know mattered you know in terms of how I wanted to sound because they cared so much about presentation. They cared so much about style, you know, uh, and how they were, they were to be heard. And then later on, it's interesting. Like when I got into like my early, like my early twenties, that's when I started dipping into the last poets, um, and, uh, the classic last poets album. And then learning more about like David's last poets, which, which, which was different from <laughs> the last poets album that I, that I first heard, uh, but the bottom right. line to it, like to hear their content, to hear what they were 
going with but now i already have like this framework of hip-hop so i'm i'm like bringing all these different folks in when i when it's really clearly like a hip-hop soundtrack and it, it just expands you know what i think is possible and i, and I really i guess lastly I, I you know even though these cats weren't around when i was like doing a lot of my writing but to see what someone like kendrick lamar was able to do with his rhymes uh, to to make sure that people are clear about the poetry of it, you know, uh, with his dedication, with his flow, all that stuff matters. And I think it's a culmination of like 50 years of, of conscious lyricism that you might hear from the last poets all the way through some of the works of these, uh, from these rappers, whether we're, whether we're talking about KRS One, to Snoop Dogg or really more like, you know, Ice Cube. But like, you know, folks like that, I right. think all that stuff, you know, kind of creates this moment. And so I'm just a big fan of hip hop, that energy, that I, the ideas, the, the places where creatives within that space can go and how they can make you feel like the far side and what they were able to do with She Keeps On Passing Me By. You know what I'm saying? Like that was, that was right. important to me because they were able to right. to like ride a rhythm, you know, and make it melodic and expand the boundaries and make it a song that people wanted to hear. That was that was like magic, you know. And so to me, that's the possibility of what we could do as rappers, as wordsmiths, is to take something and make it feel like a song that people want to hear over and over again. Right. Well, man, too. I man, it's I can yeah. listen to you talk, man, because there's so much. It's so much knowledge when you're spitting, man. So it's actually kind of cool to 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 have you on the podcast because um, because of the historical aspect of it, but then also the knowledge and the input that you have in terms of hip hop and poetry and things like that is something that we definitely need. Um, now, time always goes by fast when we have fun. So, um, but I do I, I don't want to get out of here without asking what what kind of things do you have uh, going on? What what kind of projects you got? Sure, and, and it's also one question I definitely want to answer. So don't forget about that projects I got going on right now. So I so you mentioned Herb Arts. So Herb Arts is you AACD. It's just a rebrand. Uh, the rebrand is mm-hmm. kind of nearing its completion. Uh, so uh, so for the longest time, when I say UAACD, people didn't really know what it was. Or UAACD, you know, people didn't know what it was. It sounded like the NAACP. I'm like, eh. You know, so, uh, so to be able to <laughs> say Herb Arts, at least you know that it's an arts organization. And you know it has something to do with mm-hmm. urban life. Uh, which can be black, which can be broader than blackness. You know, it's this space that we indwell. And so, uh, but also it just gives me this opportunity to just connect with a part of our uh, black art making history uh, and that uh, story a bit longer. You know, there's like in St. Louis, that was the black artist group uh, nationwide. You have people who different organizations that participate in the black arts movement wherever they were locally whether chicago or wherever uh so in st louis today uh among many black led you know efforts um we're still trying to figure out ways of how we can support black artists and we're, and like with all nonprofits, we're continuing to ask the question uh are we needed you know are, are we necessary like how do how can we help how can we contribute and uh the day 
then we can't, you know, answer that question affirmatively. If we can't come up with how we can contribute, it's the day we need to stop. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and and so right now, it seems like we're still needed uh, for some of the work that we do. Like we're able to do stuff with youth poetry and really, you know, uh, lift up some of the youth poets that have, that we have in the region. As an organization, we uh, we have we have helped two teams of high school or teenage youth poets win championships uh, at the at the international level and so that's beautiful that was last that was two years like you know two years ago and then last year uh, we'll be going back into that space one more time and, and seeing what we can do uh, participating in the the national youth poet laureate you know uh, the, the same sort of program that lifted up Amanda Gorman you know there are plenty of mm-hmm. other uh, youth poets laureate around the country that are participating in this same kind of program and we want to and we contribute to that we we're a part of that you know and so we want to continue to do that work and we want to continue to support adult artists who can then be mentors and uh to these younger artists who can you know help make space and hopefully be a guide for them uh, in some kind of way so so as long as we're still relevant as long as that seems to still make sense we're going to continue to do it uh and you know as long as we can be sustainable at the same time and that's great so that's that's like the the passion project you know and then personally just figuring out what special statement i want to make as a poet as an artist and uh and, and then just trying to give some time to that it's like a garden right you got to nurture this right. garden so that's that's what i'm working on right now making sure that the the herb arts is as sustainable as it needs to be and making sure that our um that personally my my artistic output doesn't die on the vine got you right there so now it's time for the the big question that we ask everybody here yeah. so and people get caught up on this man but i know you can do this i know you can man. i got you, faith thank in you thank you, thank you. <laughs> so if you had a band that you could compile any artist, whether they're still alive or if they passed on, mm-hmm. from musicians to singers to dancers to whatever, and you can compile this band and you're the head person, mm-hmm. who would you select for your band? You know, man, it's it's interesting. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of like bootleg D'Angelo right now. Um, I'm really surprised at how good, not surprised, I'm, I'm so satisfied with his keyboard play. Like his, as a keyboardist, as a pianist, he's uh, he's really good. Like I heard this this track of his, uh, just from like YouTube, of him doing X to the Next by, you know, Gangstar. Mm-hmm. So to be able to maintain the bass line while playing some of the, the chords, I was like, yo, first of all, like, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know enough about piano, you know, piano playing to like, know what that's special but i know i'm easily impressed by that to be able to have two two things going at once and you, you know in hip-hop somebody sampled like like it was probably uh um uh, uh like was the dj for a uh, gang store he said i'm pretty sure he sampled the bass line and then mm-hmm. added these chords you know what i'm saying like these uh Rhodes keyboard type of chords and put those things put those things together to and make sure they were on time and it created this beautiful sound i'm pretty sure that that happened right but d'angelo was able to like take these disparate things that you know producers pull together to create these musical beds and and make it interesting so 
I would just because of the hip hop, I would I would want to have him in the mix. Although now he does some guitar play. I love Robert Glasper. So here's the mm-hmm. conflict. I love right. <laughs> Glasper. He is a pianist. Obviously, he does keyboard. But I will take the uh, James Brown exception and have multiple musicians play the same <laughs> thing on my bandstand because I can right, do that. Right. Uh, I will <laughs> probably take uh, the late great Roy Hargrove um, mm-hmm. to uh, to help you know lead my trumpet you know section my horn section. Um, and you know, because I have uh, kids named after these great jazz musicians, you know, I would have like Sarah Vaughn be my one of my vocalists in the band. I would have uh, John Coltrane be my uh, my go-to saxophonist in the band. I would have the brazen uh, brilliance of of Dizzy Gillespie bring the necessary hard bop bebop elements to the band where it may not work but it might be brilliant you just never know you know what i'm saying so right, right. so i would i would have these elements and then uh to like kind of anchor it i do like quest love i love what he does a, a, as a drummer and of course his ear for hip-hop and his ear for sound uh and i know that he and d'angelo are great collaborators and then uh, for that bottom, you know what, man? Like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Esperanza Spalding. Mm. Also a big fan of uh, of uh, Michelle Adegiocello, but I'm a roll with uh, Esperanza. Uh, she's quite able on that uh, on that bass, and so yes. I would uh, I would have her, you know, help fill out the bottom on that band, and, and, and let's just see what happens. I just see where where the magic takes us from there. Man, that that band right there is smoking. <laughs> That's a smoking band, man. I thought I, I told you you could do. I know thank you, you, brother. Thank you. You could do. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, man, we really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today on the podcast, man. Tell people how they can actually follow you on social media and any website that they can follow you on. Sure. You know what? I'm particularly boring, but uh, but if you want to find me, I'm on. <laughs> I'm on, I'm on the ground as, uh, I think it's MK underscore Stallings. Also uh, on Twitter, it's MK Stallings. You can find me on Facebook, MK Stallings. Um, but if you want to follow like my passion project, this organization that I founded, then you can look up uh, Herb Arts underscore STL on Instagram or find Herb Arts on Twitter, find Herb Arts, uh, U-R-B-A-R-T-S on uh on Facebook, uh, we have some things that are coming up, you know, like like the the pandemic, you know, was hard on us organizationally, organizationally, like it was hard on a lot of different organizations and businesses. Uh, we're glad to have had the level of support with some of our um, partners, you know, uh, to kind of allow us to figure out how do we move forward. And it's been a, it's been good because things that weren't working you know we get a chance to reset you know we get a chance to you know try it again so if people want to kind of you know keep tabs on what we're doing you know with the visual arts with the spoken word poetry with uh how we support you know breakers in the city you know then follow any of those social media also they can check us out on youtube we uh, we we have a lot of videos that we need to post, so we just need to start posting those videos of some of the people who blessed us over the years with their work. So definitely uh, check us out in those spaces. 
All right. Well, thank you once again, man. Everybody, you all have been listening to an interview with MK Stallings here on the Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Floyd Boykin Jr. I want you all to be kind, be peaceful, be respectful, and learn something amazing. Peace until next time.